He learned a lot by watching Fox News, by calling into Fox and Friends. He learned about what GOP voters want, and now he delivers it to them through Fox News, through his phone calls, through his interviews. It is an incredible alliance. Welcome to the Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. CNN anchor and chief media correspondent Brian Stelter has watched with amazement and alarm as the relationship between Donald Trump and Fox News has grown ever more intertwined and interdependent. Fox hosts float conspiracy theories and unsubstantiated claims, and Trump tweets and repeats them to the world. Stelter, who anchors the CNN show Reliable Sources, chronicles this unprecedented relationship in his new book, Hoax, Donald Trump, Fox News, and the Dangerous Distortion of Truth. Brian Stelter, welcome to the Vermont Conversation. Glad to be here. Thank you. I want to start with a, uh, a striking opening quote in your book where you write, quote, Trump's entanglement with Fox has no historical precedent. Never before has a TV network effectively produced the president's intelligence briefing and staffed the federal bureaucracy. Never before has a president promoted a single TV channel, asked the hosts for advice behind closed doors, and demanded for them to be fired when they step out of line. This story has all the makings of a farcical drama, a dysfunctional White House, a delusional president, and a drama-filled network misinforming him from morning through night. So how did we get here? How did Fox News acquire such power over a U.S. president? Well, hearing you read that, that, uh, that page, I would sure buy that book. <laughs> that sounds like a good story, uh, but I'm just teasing. Um, how did we get here? I think the story starts in 1996 with Rupert Murdoch funding this channel and Roger Ailes launching this channel as a, a, you know, a response to a void in the marketplace. And there clearly was a void in the marketplace. Millions of conservatives feeling like the rest of the news uh, was bent to the left. What's happened at Fox News, though, is it's bent more and more and more to the right, to the point where, in the, in the words of one person there in my book, we're not right-leaning, we've fallen over. Uh, the channel is in the grips of pro-Trump propaganda, um, oftentimes promoting conspiracy theories and, and completely, misinformed, uh, uh, completely misinforming the audience. And, uh, and I think, you know, we've ended up at that place because it, it says something about the GOP, it says something about the evolution of the, of the American right. But it also speaks to the, the power Fox gained in the pre-Trump years, um, its hold on the audience to the point where it kind of has a monopoly on, on right-wing viewers. And, uh, and President Trump is just one of those viewers. He's the ultimate Fox viewer. You know, this older man, this white man uh, who's been successful, who has grievances against, um, well, a lot of people and a lot of things. You know, he learned a lot by watching Fox News, by calling into Fox and Friends. He learned about what GOP voters want, and now he delivers it to them through Fox News, through his phone calls, through his interviews. It is, it is, an, incredible, it is an incredible alliance. I think for listeners who aren't aware, it would be helpful if you explained uh, how uh, enormous the lead that Fox has in ratings, audience, just to, you know, for people who watch CNN, they may have no idea that Fox often, Fox shows often just crush the competition. Can you just sketch out how much of a kind of Goliath they are? Yeah, let me pull up ratings for a recent Thursday to, to put this into perspective. Um, Fox News at 5 p.m. 
has 3.6 million viewers. CNN has 1.1, 1.2 million. MSNBC might have 2 million. But Fox is millions of viewers ahead of other cable news channels. The race tightens in the hours when there are newscasts on, like Brett Baer's special report. Um, some Fox viewers turn off the news, and they turn Fox back on when the pro-Trump opinion really ramps up again. For example, Tucker Carlson's program reaches four to five million viewers a night. Sean Hannity reaches four to five million viewers a night. Laura Ingram, closer to three million viewers, but a very high rating. And remind us what time those opinion hosts are on. You know, so Tucker's on at eight, and then Sean at nine, Laura at 10. And uh, th there's nobody else even close to them in terms of total viewers, except for Rachel Maddow, who sometimes reaches three, four million viewers. Uh, but we're talking about a cable news environment where one to two million is usually considered pretty, pretty strong. And Fox is up there at four and five million viewers for the pro-Trump opinion hours. So it, it just, it is head and shoulders above the competition. One, one way I put it is, in the book is, Fox wakes up at third base when other channels are just, you know, swinging the bat, just getting warmed up. And that's because the audience is so loyal that they have the TV on in the middle of the night. There's half a million people watching at four in the morning when other channels might as well just show color bars because no one's watching. It, it does speak to that word monopoly I used earlier. What accounts for this uh, outsized hold on the American public? I think there's many factors, but one, of, one is that for decades, there's been this concerted effort on the right to say the rest of the media is left. Uh, and, and now, in recent years, to say the rest of the media is fake. Um, I think concerns about media bias are one thing, and, and those are legitimate, and there are real conversations to be had about liberal media bias. Um, but that's not what Trump is talking about anymore. He's calling the press the enemy. He's saying outlets he don't, doesn't like are just hoaxes. And, uh, you know, that message repeated over and over and over again, I think it has a real impact. And it's hard to measure. It's hard to prove that. Um, but it does help to account for why so many Fox viewers think they can only trust Fox. Well, let's explore that word hoax. It's the title of your new book, Hoax, Donald Trump, Fox News, and the Dangerous Distortion of Truth. What has the word hoax come to mean during the Trump era? Right. It's a, it's a catch-all term to shut down conversation and tell people to stick with their tribe and not to read other outlets and not to consider other points of view or trust in other sources, right? Hoax is a, it's a nasty little word. Four letters. It's a mean word. It, it suggests someone's trying to hurt you or trick you or fool your family, a hoax. And Trump uses the word so often, now more than once a day on average, mostly about Russia, but he's used it in the past about global warming. He's used it about Supreme Court. He's used it uh, recently about the Atlantic article saying that he was disparaging veterans. He, he employs it as, a, as an all-purpose term to say, the world out there is dark and, and against you. Evil forces aligns against you. What did he say about dark shadows recently? I think the message, the overarching message of his anti-media rhetoric is just trust in me, just trust in me and Fox because everything else could be a hoax. Um, I think that's the, the, at least the subconscious of it. Which of course is an authoritarian uh, instinct. How much do you think that Fox News is a threat to democracy? I will defer to the sources who I, who I interviewed for this book, including a, a, a staffer at Fox who said on the record 
he thinks that it's a risk to democracy. There's a researcher named Sean Graff who worked at Fox since 2016. He reached out to me on the record in 2019 and, uh, and, and tried to call it out. He said, he, you know, he said he's working to this channel and lots of people there don't believe in what's on the air, um, which I, I found through many other sources. But here's this researcher on the record saying, quote, Fox's allegiance to President Trump is putting our democracy at risk. He said, even if the Republican Party refuses to stand up to Trump, Fox must. But, but of course, Fox rarely does. Now, this researcher, he did leave Fox. He went to join the Michael Bloomberg campaign, which didn't last very long. And now he has a different job in, in the news business. But I, I thought it was so powerful that he spoke out when he still worked there, still on the record, uh, because he was saying what so many sources said to me anonymously, that the network has uh, become radicalized, that the content's become more and more extreme, trying to appeal to Trump and his fans. Uh, but it is a, it is a risk. Um, you know, ironically, the coverage of the election Fox's marketing slogan for the election, is Democracy 2020. And I, I kind of think it's, um, it's clever because it's like it's saying, don't pay any attention to this creeping authoritarianism. Uh, we are the home for democracy. Uh, when, when in fact, the network does, um, by not challenging Trump, by not holding him accountable, it does create more space for his authoritarian tendencies. There's a moment uh, in 2017 when, uh, in the wake of the Charlottesville riot by the neo-Nazis and white nationalists, Trump defends the Charlottesville, uh, the white nationalists, and it prompts even James Murdoch, the son of Fox owner, Rupert Murdoch, to write, and you quote this in your book, uh, he says, quote, I can't believe I even have to say this. Standing up to Nazis is essential, a close quote. Now, we have now become accustomed to, for example, Tucker Carlson frequently spouting white nationalist views on his extremely popular show, as well as other hosts. Do you think that Fox has become a platform for white nationalists? I personally would not go that far because I can't say to you, hey, here's a recent example of a guest who espouses white nationalism, who was on the air, who was interviewed. Um, I, perhaps some of our listeners will be able to name those guests. I don't have them off the top of my head. What I do think it's fair to say is Fox is a, a home for white identity politics, for the sense that whiteness is under threat, that, uh, that there's a, Fox is kind of a hub for this backlash uh, toward a multicultural browning America. Ebony Williams, who used to be a host on Fox, uh, later said in an interview that the entire programming strategy invented by Roger Ailes was to address conservatives' fears of, quote, the intrinsic devaluation of whiteness in this country. So that's, that's playing to white identity politics from the very beginning. She's saying it's going back to 1996. It's certainly much more clear, though, these days. You know, Fox's full-throated embrace of white identity politics has been, um, has been very clear in the Trump years. Um, but I think the network does this in a way that, you know, there's, there's a nuance to this, right? They are not booking, they, they would never book David Duke. They would never interview, um, you know, a full-throated um, white supremacist on the air. Um, but Tucker Carlson's essays, Laura Ingram's monologues, they prey on racial anxieties. They speak to the perceived loss of status of white Christian America. And they were doing this in the Bill O'Reilly years as well. Bill O'Reilly gets a lot of credit and blame for coming up with the war on Christmas. So uh, I think the president, you know, he's learned about this by watching Fox and by calling into Fox. And, uh, and he, he tries to speak, and he does speak the language of uh, these Fox hosts. 
when it comes to cultural displacement and whiteness being under threat. Now, you've pointed out, um, I mean, there's this ongoing question, uh, chicken and egg question, who's telling what whom? And you quote a Fox producer, a producer of Fox and Friends, their morning show, uh, quote, people think he's calling us telling us what to say. Hell no, we tell him what to say, close quote. And of course, Americans are now accustomed to waking up in the morning to Trump tweeting uh, something from Fox and Friends. Tell me where you think the balance lies. I mean, is he being, and you, of course, say in that opening quote that I read at the top of the show, Mm -hmm. that he is essentially getting his intelligence briefings from Fox. Has it come to that? Has Trump become this compliant, uh, you know, kind of viewer who just runs with whatever they say? And do they know this? They do know. They see his tweets. They know that they provide the raw material for his tweets and his rallies. And some people really like having that influence and they brag about that influence internally. Others think it's, it's a huge problem. And uh, some of the producers who, who have quit, who have left, who have uh, who've gone to other places or, or frankly just left the profession, it's because they think that that influence is dangerous and wrong and being used in the ways that are wrong. You know, look, if, if Fox and Friends, the three-hour morning show, were a highly vetted, carefully produced uh, bastion of quality journalism full of uh, double-checked uh, fact-checking segments and really thorough examinations and investigations, well, then, my goodness, we would sit here and talk about how, how wonderful it is that the president starts his day with this really high-quality source of news. But no. Right, Fox and Friends is the show where the banner once said Trump cuts aid to three Mexican countries. They meant Central American countries. You know, Fox is the program that's misled Trump about everything from James Comey to voter fraud, immigration. And, and these examples are documented. And some of them I, I went into detail about in hoax because I think it's worth seeing the, um, the specific mistakes that are made and, and why there isn't accountability for them. I was thinking about the day that there was a banner, banner on Fox and Friends that said, report. Comey leaked classified material. And they were getting this from some other outlet, but the outlet never reported that. So Fox got it wrong. And then Trump tweeted out, James Comey leaked classified information. And again, not true. Uh, Fox made it up. Trump then heard it. Trump tweeted it to millions of people. The rest of the media then chased it, right? And James Comey is sitting there saying, where is he getting this from? Right? There was never an apology from Fox. Trump never admitted he was wrong. Comey, two years later, when, when the DOJ finally confirmed that he had never leaked anything classified, Comey said, hey, to all of those who've spent two years talking about me going to jail and being a liar and a leaker, ask yourselves, why do you still trust people who gave you bad info for so long? I think that's a great question. But people don't seem to stop and ask that question about Fox and Friends. So, so it, yeah, my answer, to, I apologize, it's a, a long answer, but it's true that the, the president is getting fed this information from Fox and Friends. It is like his CIA daily brief. It's just not vetted like the CIA daily brief. It's not fact-checked. It's actually the opposite. It just plays on his culture war nerves. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Vermont Conversation, and our guest is Brian Stelter. He's the chief media correspondent at CNN, and his newest book is Hoax, Donald Trump, Fox News, and the dangerous distortion of truth. Um, Brian, the, the misinformation you're talking about now has deadly consequences as we're dealing with the 
coronavirus pandemic. And uh, there has been a study uh, recently showing the deaths that are perhaps attributed to the misinformation, the, the delay on Fox News in coming to terms with the reality of the pandemic, not that it's not a hoax. Um, talk about the role of Fox during the pandemic and how they have fueled the kind of misinformation and the militant backlash that we've seen around the country. Yeah. This book was, was going to be titled something else. It was going to be titled Wingman because pre-pandemic, I was writing about Trump's wingman at Fox. But then at the end of December, at the end of February, um, as thousands of people were already sick in this country and didn't know it yet, uh, the president described COVID, uh, he, he talked about the Democrats politicizing the coronavirus as a hoax. He called it, uh, he said, you know, it's like their new hoax. Um, the, uh, the exact quote was, this is their new hoax. He was, he was saying, the Democrats are using this to come after me, just like impeachment. It's their new hoax. Now, he didn't technically call the virus a hoax, but the, the message was the same. The takeaway was the same. It was, you don't have anything to worry about. This is just political. So he was framing this as politics, not medicine. And that's what Fox was doing as well. Sean Hannity uh, used the word hoax as well on uh, March 9th. He said, they're scaring the living hell out of people. I see it again as like, oh, let's bludgeon Trump with this new hoax. Now, again, he didn't technically call the virus a hoax, but he was giving people permission to downplay and, and dismiss the threat. And, uh, and those are just the most startling examples of what was going on throughout February and March on Fox this downplaying of the disease. I want to be honest and clear about this. There's a lot of responsibility and blame to go around, right? There's a lot of mayors and governors that wish they had done things differently. You know, there's a lot of people that have regrets about what went down in February. But the president has the biggest podium, the biggest platform of all, and Fox has the biggest cable platform of all. So they bear a lot of the responsibility for this. And uh, that's why I, I retitled the book and I opened and, and closed the book with the pandemic with those examples of the real life consequences of dis disinformation. Uh, you mentioned Sean Hannity and you write a lot about Sean Hannity in the book. Yeah. Who is Sean Hannity and why does he matter? <laughs> I think Hannity matters because he's the biggest star of the Trump years. He's the Fox survivor. He's been there 24 years. All the other stars have come and gone. And uh, Hannity is, the, is the, the kind of link to Fox's past, but he doesn't care about that. He cares about today and tomorrow. He, he is a close advisor to the president. They are in each other's ears all the time. Hannity kind of programs Trump's presidency and Hannity and Trump producers Hannity's show. It's, it's back and forth. It's mutually beneficial. Although I argue in hoax that a lot of the times when, when Hannity seems to be helping Trump, he's actually hurting Trump. When, when you have the president call into your show for 40 minutes and he barely acknowledges the COVID dead, barely speaks about what he's doing to stop the pandemic, you know, when you, when you do these calls, these phoners, and you just try to flatter the president instead of holding him accountable, you ultimately hurt his cause, not help his cause. And I think Hannity embodies all of that. What is the role of the press when the president and the White House lie constantly? To call it out, to call it what it is. I know there used to be debates about when to use the word lie, whether to use the word lie at all. How do we know if he's lying? Well, there's some cases where if he's not lying, then he's delusional and lying is actually the better option of the two. Um, I, think, I think the answer is we have to uh, be steady, um, not 
let it not, not 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 get used to this not not get not settle for um you know disinformation and distractions and delusions but instead to focus on what is true and then compare politicians statements and records to what is true you know in some ways it's the easiest kind of journalism you have a fact you compare it to what the politician said and you can see if it's true or not um and I think, you know, we've seen a lot of uh, ways to do this on cable news, on CNN and MSNBC, especially monologues and fact check segments and on screen graphics. There's lots of ways to go about this mission. Uh, but what's most important is that we keep doing it. Well, that's uh, the, the monologues where anchors like Anderson Cooper and Don Lemon uh, begin the show by with a, a lengthy statement of their opinions of their take on the news. Uh, you know, for those of us who've grown up in an era when anchors never did that, um, do you think that CNN has been changed by the Trump era, that it has become more partisan in this environment? Not more partisan, but definitely more provocative, um, more um, more personal in some ways. And I say personal because, as you mentioned, Anderson will start with, an, with a monologue, Aaron Burnett, uh, Fried Zakaria, uh, who, who's uh, on before me on Sunday mornings. I, I've been increasingly been doing these essays on the air. It is more personal. It's a way to look into the camera and try to make sense of what makes no sense, to try to explain what is happening in the in the country around us. Um, and, and I understand that definitely is different, you know, than than the model the, of ten or twenty years ago. What I what I would say is in this media world there is room for everything. So there's clearly room for. Uh, 30-minute recaps of the world. The nightly newscasts are doing quite well uh, on television. And then there's a lot of room for more point of view, um, more analysis, more perspective of, of the news. There's clearly room for all of it. And uh, as long as it is all reality-based and um, factual and trying to get to the truth, I think that's what matters. I think the monologues are sometimes the best way, I find, to explain where the president's getting um, uh, a misstatement from. Like, where did, he, where did he get that idea from? Who put it into his head? Oh, well, it was Tucker Carlson's show. Here's the clip. And then here's what the president said 20 minutes later. And here's how we know, you know, he's consumed. I think sometimes that's best explained, actually, in a personal way, rather than through a package or an interview with a guest. But we do need to keep making those connections and keep producing those explanations. Because then the president's information diet affects, uh, affects everybody, um, even if you never watch Fox. You now travel to Trump events with security, as do many CNN correspondents. How do CNN correspondents, and I, I realize these must be at times frightening, uh, these large arenas, of course, he's not doing as many arena events now, but uh, large arenas where he is directing the ire and rage of his followers, specifically at the media, but specifically at CNN. So. Talk a little bit about what CNN correspondents have to do to do their job right now. Right. I do write about the bodyguard uh, in, in, in hoax. And the reason I did that is to explain, you know, this is how our jobs have changed. Um, essentially, when there are rallies, when you're going to be in a big crowd, when the crowd might be hostile for, for various reasons, um, CNN does have a go with security. And uh, when I attended a rally in 2018, I was, you know, I was, uh, unnerved by this. Do I really need to have a bodyguard with me? Isn't it going to get in the way? Actually, what I found is this person was really helpful because he allowed me to just be myself. He allowed me to just uh, relax and talk with rally goers and have conversations and even take selfies and not have to watch my back. 
So that actually is, is why I thought it was very useful and I was grateful for the support from CNN to have someone there to keep an eye on things. You know, never, nothing ever got out of control, but you certainly do have people that want to gawk and shout and, 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 and make noise. And um, it's sometimes helpful to have someone take the temperature down. Uh, this is the new normal and it's not just CNN. Um, you know, sadly, you know, lots of folks and lots of outlets get threats, including, by the way, people at Fox, and that's outrageous. Um, we need to all do our part to take the temperature down, not raise it up. Have any correspondents with your network or others been physically hurt at any of these rallies? Uh, no, certainly not, not to my knowledge. Um, you know, what we did see in 2016, we saw some scuffles uh, where members of the media were targeted. Uh, I don't believe anyone from CNN, although I might be mistaken. Uh, it's a different dynamic, of course, now with these events where he's not having crowds that are as large as often. Um, but the hostility is still real, and the trolling is still real, the harassment is still real. I think, uh, I think uh, minority, uh, I think people of color and women journalists get it more severely than I do. Um, and it's, it's all part of a hate movement, right, that the president leads against the media, against outlets he doesn't like, against outlets that challenge him. I think the, the good news is that most Americans see through it. Polling shows that most Americans see through the fake news smears and recognize that the press is trying to get to the truth. You know, what's interesting about studies of uh, people's trust in media is that everybody trusts some form of media, right, David? Like, everybody trusts something. It's just that some people trust Rush Limbaugh and other people trust CNN. Other, some people trust Fox and others trust the New York Times. Uh, so we trust different forms of media. And that's, you know, partly why it feels like we live in alternative realities. I know that, uh, you know, the Trump era has caused a lot of soul searching in the media because there's been a lot of talk about how the media perhaps enabled Trump and how he continues to exploit any platform he's given on the media reality TV star that he is. What do you think CNN could do better? I, I, you know, look, I have a program on Sunday morning, so I have an hour where I get to talk about the press, critique the press. But really, try to, what I try to emphasize is why and how do we do what we do? How can we help the public and the viewers and the listeners understand how journalism works and sometimes how it doesn't work and why, why there are mistakes so that we can help folks know what to trust and what is reliable? Um, so, you know, that's my hour and that's my specialty. But I think in general, what I'd like to see more of in television uh, and, and hear more of in, in, in the news coverage is uh, the voices of voters. Um, and also non-voters, right? There's the stereotype about stories about Trump supporters at diners. And you hear from folks on social media that say there's too many of those stories. Well, you know what? I'd like to see more of those stories, but also more stories about non-voters, stories about Biden supporters. I want to hear more from, from voters and, and less from talking heads. And look, there are good reasons why we have talking heads. Sometimes I'm a talking head. My head yaks on and on sometimes. Uh, when there's breaking news, when there's a story that needs more context, but whenever possible, I think we need to uh, focus on those viewers, those voters' voices. And finally, what are as we enter this final stretch of the presidential campaign, what are you most concerned about about uh, the press and the media and continuing pressures and attacks being placed on the media? Yeah, I, um, well, you know, it just occurs to me that whether the Trump presidency ends in 2021 or in 2025, the damage done by um, this hoax rhetoric, this fake news rhetoric is not going to fade away right away. Um, 
And a lot of journals have a lot of work to do and a lot of news outlets have a lot of work to do to try to gain and regain trust. Um, you know, every day journalists in their own way can either gain a little bit of trust or lose even more of it. And uh, this, is in, this is in tiny fractions of percents, but it all does add up. Yeah, you know, you look at, I think that's where the focus has to be now and also in the post-Trump years. Because also, you remember, let's remember, Trump's voice is not going to be silent uh, whenever he uh, leaves the White House. He will go out there and get a podcast or a radio show or a TV network or he'll have his Twitter feed. He'll still be sowing some of the same distrust and attacking the credibility of institutions. Um, and so what we have to do is continue to call out uh, th that, that conduct and to focus on what is true. As much as it's important to point out what's untrue and to fact check, you know, we have to make yummy, delicious truth sandwiches. <laughs> Start with the truth and then explain what the lie is and where the lie is coming from, but then go back to the truth and be centered around what is real and what is true. Um, we're going to see a lot of challenges about this, the election, right? About around warnings and threats about voter fraud, exaggerations about mail-in voting. Um, we have to stay steady and true in, in what is going on. Okay, well, Brian Stelter, I want to thank you for joining us this week on the Vermont Conversation. Great to be here. Thank you. Brian Stelter is the chief media correspondent for CNN and the author of the new book, Hoax, Donald Trump, Fox News, and the Dangerous Distortion of Truth. I'm David Goodman. Thanks so much for listening.